Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure you check out the show notes for more details and information on today's topic. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. We're back with another edition of Nobody Told Me That. I'm very, very pleased to have my friend Ryan Vett on the show. Ryan, what's up? Not much, Teresa. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm so pleased. You have this energy about you, and I keep hearing from people that like you're such a good guy, mm. and you really need to know Ryan. And I got to know you just recently, and and they're pretty right. You know, you've got some good energy around you, but you're doing a lot of things in the industry, which I appreciate. You're trying to bring new energy to Speaking Consulting Network. You have speaking topics where you try to re-energize the, the way that people look at their interactions. And so I want to delve into a whole bunch of topics if that's okay with you. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Ryan, you're an author. What are your books? Uh, the book that I released in 2019 is called Cracking the Millennial Code. It's actually not a dental-specific book, uh, but it's very relevant if you work with anyone of any age. So that, that's most people in, in the dental world. Uh, and basically what it does is it looks at the history of generations, uh, which sounds a little bit boring. But it's really not. It talks about how one generation influenced the next generation. And then it busts some of the myths about millennials. So the millennials are entitled. They're lazy. All of those perceptions have some grain of truth, of course. But that doesn't mean it characterizes a whole generation. There's ways to utilize that and flip those what would be viewed as impediments or downsides to the generation to flip those to the advantage of a practice owner and things like that. So that's that's the book that's out now. I'm working on another one that will be out probably in 2023. Ooh, okay, another one. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that about the, you know, lazy and all that, but I know plenty of office managers and assistants and all that are my age that are pretty dang lazy. So I don't think it's just a millennial trait, right? right. So <laughs> now coming, you, you wrote it for not just dentistry, and I appreciate that because I think you, it's really nice to be able to pull in non-dental examples and, and have it for a bigger audience. Some of the best business books I've written I've written. I've written all the best <laughs> business go. books. Now, all the best business books I've read usually are from non-dental, and it's nice to be able to apply those lessons to dentistry. So, if any of you are out there looking for good business books to to read, I mean, I'll I'll throw a couple that I like into the show notes. But I think outside of dentistry is sometimes where you need to look just to see what everybody else is doing. You know, the retail environment is something that I think we have to pay attention to, yes. even though that's not our industry. And you have written also about the customer experience. So how do you compare the dental customer experience to the retail experience? Absolutely. That's one of my favorite topics is this idea of creating experiences worth sharing. Every single time we have any interaction with any business or brand and even people, there's an experience that we're going to share. It's you either have a positive one or a negative one. So it's not that you're creating something shareworthy. It's that you're shaping and crafting the story that people are going to share so that it is positive and not negative about your business. 
And that comes from my background in software startups. And that's kind of the world that I, I came from and really making sure you put people first because there are so many companies out there that have decent products or even great products and forget the importance of the reason that they have products and revenue is because they're dealing and interacting with people. So that's all about creating experiences worth sharing. And then later I got involved in what I call craft beverage lounges. So coffee shops, wine bars, whiskey lounges, things like that. That's a huge industry where service matters. And it's the, it's the little things that make a big difference. And it's not always your team training. It's the environment in which someone walks. What do they see, smell, hear, taste, touch? And all of those things have a huge impact. And that's what I bring to dentistry when I, when I bring this topic in is we look at what I call the patient cycle. So the from the time they first hear about your practice to the time that they come in your door to their experience there and then follow up, case acceptance or not. And are they coming back or are they, you know, going to the next uh, are they viewing you like that retail consumer relationship and saying, you didn't provide exactly what I want. I'm going to go to the next office down the road. So I, I bring that conversation in and we start to unpack. I think one of the right about the middle of that presentation, I think one of the most interesting things is I bring up the five senses and we do a walk, a virtual walkthrough of an office. And most people don't ever walk through their offices as a patient walks through. They come in the side door, the back door. Mm -hmm. And as I start pointing out these horrible things that are in offices, like uh, gum under the the chair, or the the chair that has the cracked you know vinyl from the early '90s. All of those things, or the the pen that your front office person just chews on while he or she's sitting there. All of these things are Ew. real, and everybody sort of snickers and cringes. But those are a big thing. And then, not to be crass, but I use the example. I've had two cleaning companies. The example of cleaning toilets. When you clean a toilet, you're mm -hmm. bending over the toilet and scrubbing down. When most people use a toilet they're facing the opposite direction. The views from the user experience is significantly different than the, the service provider. So all those things are, are mm. things that are, are simple and aren't dental, but have a huge impact in that patient experience. I remember one of the weirdest offices I visited that was weird for so many reasons, but they had a, a in, the, in the patient bathroom, they had a full length mirror opposite of the toilet. And I remember just thinking, this is so on brand for this office because everything was just off. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they had their own, their own style. But when you think about what COVID has done as far as the patient experience, it's a lot harder, yeah. I think, because we can't, we don't have like this, we don't have the coffee bars mm -hmm. anymore. You don't see that. You don't have the, the drinks out there. You don't, people can't sit in these comfy chairs for a long time. So why are we spending money on comfy chairs? And then there's the whole smell of dentistry is, I mean, let's face it, it's not great. Right. So I'm really glad we're done with the bread though, the bread smell, yes. like baking bread. Yes. Do you remember that? Everybody had to bake some bread and nobody, everybody at the end of the day was like, please take the bread. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's got to be better ways to impress them. So have you seen anything really creative uh, that since COVID has come up? Because I think it's harder now to charm our patients. It is. I think one of the interesting things about the pandemic, for the first time, everybody in the world had a level playing field. It was new for everybody. So there are advantages in that, apart from the many disadvantages of the past several years. That is one unique thing that everyone has in common. And so I think just as much as maybe someone in every state and even cities are different in, in what they're requiring, but just as much as the front office team member hates being behind that plexiglass, so does the patient. So how do you deal with that? Uh, some people use that to decorate and, you know, they use window clings and fun things like that. So it's taking, taking the environment that we're in and trying to update that, you know, most offices 
are still requiring masks for patients. So smells, thankfully, aren't as significant as a issue, but there are a lot of companies out there like Scent Air or uh, Natural Scent. And there's actually one that I, I just had. I'm trying to look around. They just sent me a, a little scent sample, but they're all hypoallergenic, great scents that kind of go through your air system to get rid of the smell of dentists, right? That yeah. isopropyl alcohol with rubber gloves smell with Ugh. the fake mint. That's just kind yeah, of like, it's yeah. disgusting. Every- well, and to me, it's the t- the smell of the crown being mm. removed and old crown being removed and then all that decay that just kind of wafts through the air and it yes. just like finds its way to the, like I, when I smell it at the front desk, I'm like, I got to spring into action now before it hits the waiting room. Right. Like, right. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Um, okay. So, so we do have to do things differently and we have to be, you know, more charming personally because we have a lot of patients who number one are feeling the stress of just i mean being in being around and being alive today is just stressful Mm -hmm. i think we can all agree like there's just so many things going on so people come in stressed they're stressed about getting work done they're stressed about payment so we have to be even more charming absolutely so how do you teach charm ryan i'm i'm asking everyone i know how do we teach charm because right now we have such an issue with hiring we're not finding a ton of people mm-hmm. and i can teach them tooth numbers but my goodness i need to teach them some charm right that unfortunately i'm not going to say it can't be taught but it, it, <laughs> that becomes a hiring issue and then after hiring it becomes a training issue which is one of the most overlooked parts of hiring once you've sent the offer letter and they've put their information into your payroll system, that's when the hardest part starts. That The hardest part right now is not finding people. It's training them well. And you don't know that it's a big issue until they leave three months later. Right. And, and there's so many, re- we can talk about all the reasons people leave. But going back to the question of charm, can you teach it? No, but you can set the tone of what's expected in your practice. And so you can have someone with a pretty flat affect that you can teach to ask questions and communicate in such a way that it feels somewhat charming they it might not be enchanting charm right but it, it's going mm. to be better than that pe- person that just sitting there and looks like a, a statue behind that that plexiglass mirror with the the smiley face that they got from walmart sticking on the front of it so i, I think some of the things that you can tactfully and tangibly do and this is actually taken from our coffee shop we give our team coffee shops are successful based on habit you have to have re- repeat customers just like your patients need to come back for their their appointments and to fulfill their treatment plan at a coffee shop you need someone getting that coffee every single day and so what we do is we set really tangible goals learn somebody's name today um learn three people's name today learn their drink don't say hey mr mocha thanks for walking in that's not their name that's their drink learn their and then (laughs) ask them on a friday like what are you doing this weekend and it sounds basic but when you get and one of the biggest issues with you know, any, any job is you get into the routine and you do the same thing over and over again. And if, you know, you tell the same stories over and over again, I think of going to the person who cuts my hair. I mean, I've, I've been going to her for about a decade and I've heard the same stories on repeat over because it's part of her routine. And so trying to break some of those molds are, are so important in, in training. It goes back to training your team. So hiring someone with a good smile, good personality, that's going to go a long way then training them your culture, and then allowing them to own it. I think ownership is one of the big things that's missing right now, not physical percentage ownership of your practice, but actual owning their job, realizing that they are responsible for that experience of that patient that walks through the door or your Shine or Patterson or Benko rep that walks through the door. They're, they are responsible for that experience because they're that face that's first seen. 
So that's a, that's kind of a nebulous concept, though, when you are telling someone, okay, you need to own your experience. And I'm thinking, let's just think about my loving but knucklehead son of 21 years old. Okay, so he's he's a great kid, but he's, you know, let's just call him knucklehead for now. Um, he gets his first job and he you're telling him, okay, you've got to own the experience. That doesn't really resonate with him because he doesn't quite know what you're talking about. So how would you... How do you bring that up? How do you get that to point A to point B? Yeah, I think that's definitely more of a the leadership textbook term is to make them have ownership. I think the way you implement that, there's several ways. First of all is giving the person a why. And when you're talking about millennials, they're more likely to work at a company for a lower salary and less benefits if it has a true purpose that they can rally around than if it doesn't, which is why you see some of the big corporations losing, older corporations losing employees left and right and not being able to fill it after the boomers leave those seats. But some of the tangible ways, let's say, let's use a burger joint. As an example, when you throw together in a fast food establishment, a burger, you know, the patty, the lettuce, the tomato, the onion, and you toss that together and you just roll it up and throw it in a bag, when the person's going to open it, they're going to have a bad experience, right? They're, it's going to be all over the place. There's going to be ketchup right. on the outside. Their hands are going to get dirty. And it's simply talking to people, and not everyone catches on, but it's simply talking to your team and saying, hey, the difference of that person opening up the burger and it being perfectly stacked because you took the time to wrap it right and there's no ketchup on their hands gives them a more enjoyable experience and they're going to come back again. And that's because you took the time to just do it right. And it didn't really take any more than two or three extra seconds for what you're paid anyway. So, and and that's a really uh, cheesy, no pun intended uh, example, but <laughs> really trying to figure out in, in the practice, it's like, hey, most patients don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. and And so how can you change their perspective so that when they walk back through, they're happier. And when they come out, they're smiling. And so you give them that, that finish line goal of what to look for. And so if that patient's smiling when they come back out, as long as they're not half numb, uh, you know, they're, <laughs> your front office is getting that instant gratification. And it's a real-time feedback loop. Not necessarily the best example, but there's little things like that that you can do every single day that, you know, you just kind of set these little goals and it makes a big difference. Yeah. So that's interesting because really what that means is that the manager has to be aware of the stuff that's going on in the office. And I know that we're busy, mm-hmm. right? Like, so we, we bring in a person and we kind of tell them what to do and how to answer the phone. Here's how to make an appointment. And then we're back to our desks. We scamper back because we have a ton of stuff to do, right? Yep. So it sounds like what you're you're talking about, though, it's predicated on a manager watching interactions, being aware, and then calling those out. And I think that's that's something that we don't think about. We can't just kind of go, oh, by the way, I noticed that. Like we have to be actively watching right. for things to congratulate and things to point out as learning experiences. And that's really hard as a manager. My goodness. Um, DSOs, they have a lot of support, mm-hmm. right? Managers can lean on each other. But when you're a solo office, you know, and, and a small staff, like it, it feels like you're the only cheerleader. It feels yeah. like you're the only one rah rahing and helping everybody along. So I feel for those people. People that that's where I grew up. So I kind of just always bring it back to that experience. So, um, okay. So I have a question though about your coffee shop. Yeah. Can we go back to your coffee shop? So yeah. I've always wondered, cause you said that's how you make money is people have habits and they come back and they buy the coffee. But I'm thinking about, cause some of these coffee shops are big mm-hmm. They're So you got a lot of cost per square foot, right? And is that enough? Like, is the coffee enough to pay the bills? Like, how you have to have them have, so you have lots of seating area, you have the people coming in, and 
if they sip a, co- a cup of coffee for two hours, like, how are you making any money on that? I've always wondered how people just like camp out and like, are they paying? They better pay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the average coffee shop in America makes $215,000 a year. Top line. Okay. Really? Um, and their operating margin is somewhere between, you know, anywhere from five to 20%. So you do the math coffee shop Mm -hmm. owners are generally taking home again these are averages they're exceptions to every rule about twenty thousand dollars a year that's why so many coffee shops don't last very long you look at a starbucks and again there's starbucks in major cities and not but you look at um and and the way this math is done is you take their publicly traded company so you take their total sale revenue by store and divide it by number of stores the average store is about a million two that's a big difference so almost a million dollars more and their operating margin is anywhere from 25 to 40%. Now they're buying in bulk. They have, I mean, we can go into all the reasons why they've got marketing machines, but some of the things that Starbucks has done very well that a local coffee shop, it's not that they don't have the time or money to do it because it's not necessarily expensive, but Starbucks has built habits. They have a brand too, so you can get a Starbucks anywhere and there's that familiarity, which is an advantage. But the, the habit of people going through the drive-through on their way to work, they're very strategic in where they place them. They train their team members, or they call them partners, to know people's names and orders. That makes a big difference. And I will tell you, the reason I started drinking coffee was I had an internship in high school, and everyone had coffee there uh, at the internship. And so I felt like I had to get Starbucks. So I would get the most sugary, milky drink I could get because I couldn't stand coffee at the time. <laughs> and and it's a true story. And this guy, Cody with the T, that's how you uh, talk through the drive through line. He and I became friends and he would know what days I worked and he'd have the coffee waiting for me before I even pulled up. Wow. And, and half of the time it would be free, which that's, there's a whole nother concept. You look at Chick-fil-A giving away so many free goods and yet they're ridiculously mm-hmm. profitable. There is some science and psychology between balancing that happy medium. It's like the local bar, the bartender that slides a free beer across the counter every sure. once in a while is going to have a loyal customer. So uh, all that to say, Cody turned me into this really loyal habitual coffee drinker mm-hmm. and, and okay. to answer your question it's all about creating habits which is a great book uh, charles duig wrote it's the the power of habits but it's all part of that that cycle that you just get into in that rhythm so the small coffee shops that do about two hundred thousand dollars a year they're a neighborhood coffee shop and they just serve the person that walks through the door as a customer that's a one-time customer they're not looking at how do i build this relationship with the person over the next six months because you can easily in six months with a two or three minute interaction know their kids' names. You can know birthdays, holidays, where they're vacationing. Not in a creepy way, but you just build right. that rapport <laughs> and they're going to want to come and tell you about it. It's interesting, though, because I, I really am just fascinated by in our area. We I see coffee shops pop up and go away. We had a, a string of um, tea, mm-hmm. um, boba tea. Yep cafes that popped up and yeah. then they they went away and so i i did and i but the areas they popped in were the high rent area so mm-hmm. it's it's harder it's harder to make that work so uh thanks for entertaining that because i've always wanted to know and i i wrote down the name of the book uh power of habits and i'll put those in the show notes for anybody who's interested in that okay so let's go back to these millennials yeah <laughs> and i have to say it like that because i you know it's funny in classes, you know, when I'm when I'm speaking on hiring and management and stuff like that, all I hear is the, they don't want to work. They don't want to work. But having worked with so many different age ranges, a lot of people don't want to work. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not just millennials. Yes. And and I have just seen too many 
similar traits across all ages that you can't just categorize them with that negative attitude, right? But there are some certain some certain characteristics that are strictly millennial. Can you expand on that? And how do we get these people in our office? Because we're having such a hard time finding good people. And then, of course, like you said, keeping them. Absolutely. There, there was a lot of questions worth about 10 podcast episodes there. So I'll try to <laughs> try to distill it down. What's interesting is most of your practice owners today, and again, for the next part of the conversation, this is generalizing. This is not, not everybody fits in this box. So we're looking at large segments of anthropology and sociology as a whole and, and kind of the, the analysis on generations and generational cohorts. But a lot of the practice owners today, uh, the ones that are retiring, are baby boomers. Baby boomers, believe it or not, have some of the most similar personality traits to millennials. Interesting. And it frustrates them to death. Now, one of the biggest things that's important to baby boomers is respect. Also similar to millennials, but millennials expect more of a mutual respect from everybody on the same level, whereas baby boomers have this hierarchy. And so that is one of the fundamental breakdowns in communication because now the millennials talking to the boomer, and again, generalizing here, but talking to this uh, age group or this generational cohort as a peer, which automatically turns off and makes a millennial look entitled, makes them look arrogant, makes them uh, have all these negative connotations when really they both want respect and the same level of respect. It just looks very different. So that's the first thing that automatically the, the walls go up. And so that's that's a big component. Now, I think we're seeing this less and less because all millennials now are into their 20s if they're on the younger end and into their 40s if they're on, uh, the, the, the earlier born millennial. So Mm-hmm. they're looking to be more the same age. They don't look like teenagers anymore. And I think, yeah. honestly, that helps a little bit with that respect factor. But that's kind of the fundamental thing. And then you get into this work ethic. And millennials are actually extremely hard workers, believe it or not, very much like boomers. So boomers is the first generation that you have generally two income households. Again, generalizing, but that's kind of when we saw the generation for the first time do that. They did not want to be like their parents, the silent generation who would give, you know, a very small Christmas gift. And if there's multiple kids, which was common, six kids, you know, you'd, you'd split two or three Christmas gifts across the families. Um, and so boomers, just like all generations, they swing and try to do it better than their parents. And so they overcorrect and overcompensate. So you see boomers trying to work hard, provide for their family. You have the, uh, you know, 2.2 kids, the, the two cars, two incomes, white picket fence, suburban living. Mm-hmm. And because you're not working in a factory anymore, so you don't have to go live in mill houses near, near a city. So this this shift happens, and then you get the latchkey kids and the Gen Xers, but all all of this is starting to occur. And millennials and boomers are both hard workers, but millennials have technology to get it done much more quickly. Mm-hmm. Millennials are not self starters. That is a big difference between both Gen Xers and boomers and millennials. Millennials do exactly what they're told. They generally do it very well, but they stop. There. So if you tell a millennial to jump across the Grand Canyon, they're going to first go to Google. They're going to say, what's the narrowest point across the Grand Canyon? And they're going to jump across it. Whereas a boomer is going to say, okay, I'm looking at this huge canyon. Uh, I'm going yeah. to figure out how to <laughs> overcome this obstacle. And a Gen Xer most of the time is going to do what the boomers do. They're going to say, this is the, the obstacle in front of me. I'm going to figure out how to overcome it. Millennials are going to do that in half the time because they're, they're Googling the passively, path of least resistance, which is not always the best end product that you need. But it is a very quick, quick way to solve the problem. And so when, when a millennial is working at a front desk and they are told to reach out to all the patients, they're probably going to figure out the fastest way to email, text, or somehow communicate with all the patients 
to confirm scheduling appointments, they're going to do that. And they're going to say, I did my job. And they're in the, they're sitting in their chair for the first 20 minutes of the day, washing their hands and on Facebook or Instagram. Um, (laughs) And that's driving the boomer crazy because that looks like not working. Boomers had the longest work days out of any recent generation, not because they needed to, but because they wanted to look good to their bosses. And so there is this idea of the longer I stay at work, the more I'm working, the better employee I am. Uh, not so, of course. yeah, not so much true in the dental practice because you're not impressing as many people, but there is some, some element of truth to that. So all of that to say, I think the fundamental thing is uh, work ethic is actually similar. Mm-hmm. Millennials are just going to stop at whatever they're told to do. They're not going to be creative and think forward. And then that respect factor and how communication um, is had are two of the biggest disagreements that you see in generations. And if you can solve those, the other entitlement laziness are, are much easier to tackle. So you have some millennials now that are in management positions mm-hmm. that are hiring either other millennials or, or what is it, Gen Z Gen Z's. is the mm-hmm. next one. Tell me about, do you know much about Gen Z's? Have you done a lot of looking into Gen Z's? Because I think they're just, I, I don't have a, I don't have a glossary for Gen Z. I don't have a code book for Gen Z. And they're just, they're very interesting to me because I, I feel like, you were saying millennials don't don't take that extra step like they do the task they don't like they're not self starters yep i feel like gen z is the same way but almost even like even worse but that could be just my perception yeah so gen gen z's generally speaking and this is where it gets really interesting because millennials technically are those born from 80 to 2000 but gen z is kind of those born from 90 as a sub cohort to 2010 so it's kind of bifurcating the millennial generation. And we can get into that because of millennials being the first generation that has two generations of parents. So some millennials' parents are Gen Xers that uh, yeah. got to work right away having a family, whereas some are boomers who went to work right away. So they didn't get to work having a family until they were in their 30s. Um, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. But Gen Z, we've only seen a small subset of those enter the workforce. Now, Goldman Sachs has an incredible website on consumer behavior and some of the changes we've seen there. But the reality is most Gen Zs, true Gen Zers that are outside of the millennial cohort are just now about 20, uh, 21. So probably your son's age. So we're, yeah. it's hard to say. And what we are seeing is they're still in college for the most part. College is still very important. This is probably one of the last generations that we're going to see where college is as important as it has been for the past several. We're going to most yeah. likely see trade schools pick back up as well as self-taught okay. with okay. Uh, the accessibility to information and education that wasn't previously accessible. But uh, so we see people still finishing up. We're seeing grad school slowly decline or becoming something you do later, not immediately after after school. And people still taking, the Gen Zers are still taking their time to figure out what they're going to do with the rest of their lives um, when they do get into a career. So they, they'll hop around a little bit. And part of that is the same plague that the millennials have is the accessibility to information and to seeing what everyone else is doing. So when you see what everyone else has, you're not just looking at your neighbor's green lawn, you're looking at the world and all of your friends across everywhere. And now you're not just keeping up with the Joneses next door, you're keeping up with your whole generation across the globe. Um, And it causes this discontent. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, all my all my son's closest friends are in different parts of the country. And they've learned they've gotten together either through online chat with schools or their gaming community. Yes. So that's, you know, he 
that's where all of his friends are is his gaming community, most of them. And they're in, like you said, all over the place. So they're, they're definitely talking about how things are in different parts of the country. But when you say there's a lot of access to information, I think what's frustrating a lot of managers is yes, there's a lot of access to information. So why don't they go Google get it. that information? Yeah. So why is it so hard for people to go and find things out? Like, for example, I talked to one manager and she just hired somebody and she said, you know, this person, I gave them the the book on, you know, uh, the dental assisting book that has all of the tooth numbers and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, asked her to, you know, go home, take a look at it. And, and the, she never cracked the book open. Mm. And she said, well, what about, um, I watched, she said, I watched a bunch of videos. Okay. Well, the videos didn't, well, but the videos didn't tell her what the manager wanted her to learn. Yep. So it was just like about different stuff. And, and it just really was really frustrating because the information is there, but there is this undercurrent feeling of, well, they don't ever go after the information. We have to tell them to go get the information. Yeah. And that's kind of frustrating. So is that something that we're just going to have to live with or how do we deal with that? So I think it goes to the Grand Canyon illustration, right? The The textbook was the long way to do it. If I can watch a YouTube video two times the speed and learn all the tooth numbers while I'm cooking my home chef that was delivered to my house and watching Netflix in the background... <laughs> then that's the way I'm going to choose to do it. Uh, that's part of the thing that gets millennials this entitlement label, which is partly true because they they have had to build their personal brand online. They're, the high school you know locker room isn't the place where people are getting beat up anymore. It's social media. And so they, they have had to build this persona um, and all of that. They are, are fighting for themselves in a unique way. So in this case of the, the textbook, uh, which I wouldn't say was the manager's first mistake, but there could have been a, a different step that could have avoided avoided that. I, I would imagine, so let's let, let's just replay. I wasn't there, but let's replay what happened. Manager says, hey, you need to learn what you're doing. Here's a book. It'll tell you everything you need to know. Go home, read this, come back and tell me what you've learned. And that was it. That's probably it. And, yeah. and so the millennial says, I want to make my manager happy because millennials are big people pleasers. So I'm going to learn as much as I can faster, and I'm going to learn it really well. Let me go home, and then we picked up at the Home Chef Cooking YouTube scenario. That's probably what happened. So the millennial is not trying to be disrespectful. The millennial is actually trying to be productive and maximize their time. They come back, and the manager's like, that's not at all what I said to do. Well, the millennial heard, I need to learn this. The manager said, uh, thought they said, read the book. Um, right. And that's where that disconnect <laughs> comes. And so part of it is the manager saying, hey, I do have to adapt my training materials and learning materials uh, going back to COVID. I mean, schools had to go online and adapt and learning. Work had to go remote, and you had to figure out how to do some jobs remote. Food delivery service. If you wanted to keep your restaurant, coffee shop, bar open, you had to yeah. navigate that and figure out how does a latte still taste good after 20 minutes in a car, after three drop-offs, all of those things. And so part of it is we pivot every day, but for whatever reason, primarily boomers, not so much Gen Xers, but, but both, are set in their ways and say, no, my way is the right way. And they aren't willing to change, but times change. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean your way was wrong, but we're in a different time. So in order to be an effective leader or manager, you have to adapt, but also be willing to pull people along where they're wrong too. So is it fair to say then, if I've been training a team member in a certain way for the last 10 years, is it fair to say that I need to revisit that? It's fair to and... say you need to revisit it. It doesn't mean what you're doing okay. is wrong. Okay. Um, but it just needs to, maybe, maybe there's a different way to deliver it. Maybe there's somebody else that has a video that does a better job of explaining it. So absolutely. pulling in the different multimedia would be, is, is that more, 
impactful to the younger generations that that it's not just reading they want to see video they want to see audio or hear audio is that what what where we're going with learning i think for many people for me in elementary school i was uh, diagnosed with a reading challenge or whatever you want to call it as many millennials were which is a whole nother conversation um, not discrediting <laughs> that because there are are some really severe learning challenges that that people have for sure. But I do have problem reading text and comprehending it. I can read it out loud and you, not, you would think I'm reading fluently and I can close the book and not tell, not know what I read. There, there's a disconnect for me. That's a me thing, not a millennial thing. But mm-hmm. millennials had more tailored learning all growing up and through school, which is something other generations didn't have. You go back you know, 50 to 75 years, you had one room schoolhouses where sixth grades were learning the same exact way. So right. you... So millennials are used to custom tailored learning, which makes it more challenging for leaders and managers. But simply asking the question, you know, Teresa, what's the best way that you learn? And then figuring out like, oh, the textbook's not going to be helpful to you. Well, let me see if I can find a video. And even doing that together now shows that you respect the millennial. So now you have the respect mm-hmm. points. You're learning. And you might actually have an easier tool to use that you don't have to buy a $80 textbook every single time you have a new employee because they're right. a free YouTube video away. Right, right. <laughs> Free YouTube videos. That's a wonderful thing and, and kind of a bane of our existence, too. Yes. So because there's a lot of bad information out Tons. there. But, you know, you got to that's why it's good, manager, if you're planning on adding videos and go and you have to go watch them and then you recommend them. Yes. Don't go let them Google it because who knows what they're going to land on. So <laughs> Yes, that is so true. That is so true. <laughs> now, I, I would love to transition a little bit because we're we're talking about managing we're talking about being a good manager when you are a good manager you really want to help other managers right so that ends up happening mm-hmm. then then you start to think okay well i could do something with this and then this little like seed inside of you says or this little voice inside of you says i should be a consultant yeah <laughs> And then there, and then all the other seeds of doubt come in like, oh, I don't know if I could do it. I could do it. But then you start meeting more people and you start, you know, especially social media now, it's so easy to meet other consultants who are very open to talking about it. So Speaking Consulting Network is a place where I, I joined, I don't, it's been a gazillion years. I don't even want to say how long it's been, <laughs> I don't know, um, <laughs> long, long time ago. And I remember being so like overwhelmed because I was told I have to be a speaker. I have to be a writer. I have to be a consultant. I have to be all three because they're all three pegs in the, you know, the wheel or whatever, spokes in the wheel. And, and I remember going, oh my gosh, I'm still trying to work part time and here, um, is there a type of manager that you think is a good fit to be a consultant? Is Have you seen like different personality traits? Have you seen anything characteristic of a good manager that would be lend itself to being a good consultant? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. One, a manager that likes teaching and is willing to teach and has patience. I I don't consult with dental practices. I I do still consult with with startups and, and kind of the venture capital space, but I don't consult with dental practices. I, I tried it once with, and it just that's not where I I don't I don't have the skill set. Now I can tell you what to do, and I'm probably going to be somewhat helpful because of my experiences, but I'm not the best consultant. So it's someone that's willing all that to say to be thrown into a new situation, learn the situation, and be able to apply all those all that knowledge, that insight, and that wisdom and experience you've gained 
into different situations, which usually means it's not cookie cutter. Of course, you'll have your formulas and your worksheets and all of that, but being able to apply it and adapt it. My my startup experience doesn't translate very well to, to dental practices, at least, uh, you know, one or two location practices. So right. it's just one of those things you have to be aware of. Now, it's so as far as being a member of Speaking Consulting Network, because you've been a member for a while. Mm-hmm. And then um, let's talk about how you you upgraded your own membership. My goodness. Um, <laughs> things change there. And when you have worked with all these managers, you've been in rooms with these consultants, same same people as I have. Mm-hmm. There's a point where you might be talking to a consultant or a speaker, or whatever, a colleague, and you can see that they're kind of going down the wrong path. Mm. Like they're maybe they're in a, a field that is not as it's not going to be good for them, or you just see that it's a different personality change. Have you seen that? Is there something that perhaps? that person could do to course correct. And and let me give you the background on this question is I have a, I do have a few friends that feel like they're in, like they feel like they're on the consulting path. They've branded themselves. And now they're like, I don't even like this, Mm. like this topic. So how do, how do you kind of pivot from that? Have you had people pivot? Have you watched them pivot? I am a great case in point of that actually. So you're a pivoter. I am a pivoter. <laughs> my background, my degree, much of my early career experience was in marketing and branding. I still love marketing and branding. I like doing the work. I do not like telling other people how to do the work. And so mm-hmm. early on, I was hired and the way I started speaking back in 2008-2009 was uh, primarily to realtors actually on millennials and marketing via social media to millennials. Well, mm-hmm. I despise social media. Yes, I'm on it. I have all the channels, blah blah blah. But it's not where I like to, it's not where I like to spend my time. I can't stand it. <laughs> and Rita, I hope you're not listening. Rita's a more No, Rita's Rita. awesome. Rita, no, I hope you are I know, listening. I know. It's, it's people like Rita that, that keep me sane when, but she right. does it, right? She, she loves yeah. it. And, and so I realized that my passion wasn't this. Just because I knew about it or could help people do social media marketing to millennials, it w- wasn't my passion. So I, I tried to break away from that, which is where I steered more towards the millennials. And realize that millennials are a boring topic by themselves. Let's be serious. <laughs> but when I started discovering the generational influences, and I, I don't even love history. I think history is important to know because it is relevant today and it shapes a lot of, it can help you shape decision making. But I, I can't tell you very many dates in history. My brother could tell you every single American history date that ever happened and probably about every other country in the world too. We're very different <laughs> that way. But when I when I realized the the human interaction between generations, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. And then it morphed into leadership and management, which is really, even when I was doing marketing, that's what I was really doing. I was leading creative teams. I was managing creative teams. And then I ended up managing developers. So if you want two challenging groups of people to manage, developers and creatives, and then you add salespeople in there, your startup world, that is just, you know, you think dental offices are challenging. You get some really interesting dynamics with with three very different personality types. At least dental has very set archetypes. For the most part, that's true. You know, that's a good point. You didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. For the most part, right. and their their molds break all the time. But because um, mm-hmm. you know, millennials are all snowflakes. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've heard this. <laughs> but all that to say, so I pivoted over time to be away from social media, and I try to to refer it to the readers of the world if anyone asks me about it because it's not my passion. So, long answer to your question, I think you can pivot, and you have to realize that in that pivot, you might lose some business, you might lose some traction. But just like you took a risk to start speaking or consulting, you're going to have to take a risk to pivot. And I think, at least for me in personal experience, I am so much more fulfilled in what I do 
that I think it makes me a better speaker and it makes me a better writer because I, I love the subject matter that I, I talk about. Whereas before it was just what I was hired to do. And so I did it. Right. Right. Well, and it's important to realize, you know, for anybody who's listening, whether they're in the office or they're a consultant, just cause you start out to do this and you, you built up this like wonderful unicorns and rainbows idea of what your job is going to be you could one day wake up and go this is not what i signed up for and that's okay do you don't feel like you have to be stuck in that so talking about risk here talk talk to me about the risky purchase not risky really it was a smart purchase of speaking consulting network talk to me about that why and then where do we go from here yeah i will say it's risky I have never... Is it risk? Do you think it's risky? I have... I kind of feel like it's a good purchase. Oh, totally good. I'll tell you why it's risky. I personally have never been involved in an acquisition of something with so much history and legacy and richness. It is an organization that lives without anybody having to lead it necessarily. And it's had very prominent, influential leaders uh, with Linda and Lois. So so don't get me wrong. And it was a lot of Linda's foundational work that that set the, the organization on its trajectory. But... You're inheriting almost a family. It's not a business, right? There, there are business components, but how do you, how do you steer a ship of? It, it's a cruise ship, right? It's not a, it's mm-hmm. not a cargo ship, but it's a cruise ship with all your friends that are hanging out in the back. How do you steer that without right. tilting the ship too much? And mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's more, there's much more emotion purchased with it. So th- that was the risky part. But uh, how it all came about, I, I've been part of SCN for about eight years. Uh, I'll be eight years this year. And I started as a sponsoring partner. I was speaking outside of dental already, but this was a conference that kind of reignited a passion for me. I'd been part of other speaking organizations and I still do hold memberships at uh, some both in dental and outside of dental. And I can always learn from any of those environments, but something about SCN out of all the organizations I've ever been a part of, there's this spirit. It's that emotional component. There's something about this family that you're in a room with all of your closest competitors that are vying for mm-hmm. the same speaking spots and vying for the same clients, and yet they're willing to give. And the people that come to SCN to take generally don't last very long. And not that you can't take knowledge and learn from each other, because that's why we're there. But it's if you only are yeah. a taker and and you don't give, um, you know, that's it's the intention of it. I mean, if you're going in to just basically see what everybody else is doing and you know ask questions here so you can take their material and go somewhere else. I mean, we've seen, you and I have both seen that. Yeah. Those people, you know, breeze through organizations. So yeah, it's tough to see because it's, you see, you and I see it. Yeah. Like we can tell who these people are, you know, they're like Dementors going through, <laughs> yeah. you know, <laughs> we can see it and hopefully they just find their way out. But yeah, it, and that's a culture thing that you are now tasked with preserving. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the hardest part because um, and, and I'm not saying anything that obviously this is going to be public information. So I'm not saying anything I wouldn't say in front of the people that have been a part of SCN forever, but there was an opportunity. And this is the conversation that Lois and I had for many months before we even decided for sure we were going to do anything together. It needed to be brought up to be relevant for the next 30 years. It's been around for almost 30 years and a lot changes in three decades and a lot will change in the next three decades. So how do you take that same integrity and excellence, which is a phrase that we've really repeated through kind of this transition time. How do you take that integrity and excellence in speaking and consulting and writing and podcasting and online content? And how do you bring that to get the next generation of people who are going to bring that same level of integrity and excellence and aren't looking just to get rich quick off speaking and consulting, which 
nine times out of 10 won't happen. And it takes several years <laughs> before, before you even really start getting the traction and that flywheel going. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the things that we're doing is really simple technology. We're making it available for all speakers and consultants to edit their own profiles online. We're continually adding new features there. We've set it up so that that goes out and is very easy for meeting planners to see where our members are speaking every single month. And so meeting planners that are trying to scout can get a list of our members, super easy feature, but just using technology, uh, providing a little bit more to some online communities like Facebook groups, which again, social media, but there has been a lot of vibrancy in our, in our group that people learn, you know, I'm on the road and this has happened and I'm not going to make it. Can someone fill in for me? Or what microphone do you use that works well? All these different conversations that are, are so helpful on an ongoing basis. And then I think the biggest, the single biggest change, and while I'm not trying to change a lot about the organization, trying to bring it forward is SEN has always been about being a member of an organization throughout the year, but there haven't been as many opportunities. So we're using digital platforms such as the monthly masterminds, bringing in guest speakers that are outside of dental to infuse some of the things you and I have talked about this afternoon, Teresa, is just infuse some of the different perspectives that we can learn from and apply. Sure. Um, and then making our annual summit shorter and more focused on very tangible takeaways. It'll be divided into four different segments that all are, are clear and actionable things that you can take away and bring home. And we're going to hear both from our, our fellow peers that we know well. And we're also, what I would say, not more importantly, but more uniquely going to hear from people that most of us have never heard before because they're in a different industry but have so much relevancy to uh, mm -hmm. equipping our businesses, equipping us personally and bringing ideas that aren't even in dentistry in the speaking and consulting world right now. Yeah, this is exciting. This is exciting because I, I will tell you some of the best ideas I've ever gotten from my business personally and how I've grown have been from going to NSA, National Speakers yep. Association. And it's because I've watched how people market and how people talk outside of dentistry. And I think that has been a huge factor in being able to do what I do in our industry. So bringing that to SCN is going to benefit so many speakers because, I mean, as a new consultant, writing a check to NSA is a lot. Mm -hmm. Writing a check to SCN is a lot. It's like how many yeah. groups are you going to join before you are able to actually make some money? This is a conversation I had with my husband. Yeah. So, <laughs> Teresa, how many checks are you writing? Well, I don't know. How many you got? So, um, <laughs> That's kind of how it felt, but, but it is so important to see what happens outside of dentistry because again, the retail industry, I take my cues with insurance. Mm. I take my cues from the retail industry. What do people look for in the experience? Because yeah. people don't like to hear it, but we, they see it. They see dental insurance and dental services as a commodity. Right. We don't, but they do. And we have to be honest about that. So you're going to be bringing in outside speakers. I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's great. So those are just some of the many things that we're doing, but really the goal is to keep the community alive throughout the year and engaged and add value. At the end of the day, I invest in the NSA as well every year. The reason I invest in these organizations primarily is because I can learn and I can calculate quantifiable ROI, whether that's a concept that adds value to my bottom line or whether that's a relationship that I meet or whether it's just sometimes it's just as simple as recharging and you need people who are in the same boat struggling through all your cancellations and rescheduling during COVID and For trying sure. to figure out, you know, your book of business just dissolves and half of it rebooks, half of it doesn't, half of it, you know, changes the format. And, and so all of those things are, are some are uh, directly quantifiable with return and some of it's 
intangible, but really is what keeps you you going and grounded because it's the the lone wolves um, out there that often don't make it because they don't have that sense of community that can really help bring them forward and hold them up when they they need holding up and encourage them when they need encourage and just be there as, as family on the road, which is also a very important component. One thing I've noticed in the whole journey, I guess my journey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just assume you've seen the same because it's we're in the same industry. We there have always been these big consulting companies like the Jamesons, like the you know Pride Institute, Levin, whatever. And what I have noticed in the past twenty years is that there's more of a niche. So you have a lot of people that aren't necessarily full service consultants now. They are specializing you know me with insurance you have um you know laura hatch with with the whole customer service part uh you have you with millennials and generations and startups rita social media kevin dental assistance i have to bring up kevin because he'll be annoyed if i don't so um, <laughs> now with that being said it's the same thing as in dentistry you have this referral network right like specialists and gps need to lean on each other and it's very similar here do you see in in speaking consulting network are you, do you see that happening at a faster rate or is it is it sort of steady how you see like like big normally I'm, let me just let me back up here man regular management consultants not regular but you know what i mean just right. regular management consultants versus the niche do you see any change or acceleration in that so i think there's two things i'll first answer by saying i don't have concrete information on this happening within scn i have anecdotal information so i'll speak based oh, on yeah. what I, I can tell but the referrals fly at SCN. Yes, they do. Even yes. at, uh, you know, I was at Chicago Midwinter, and I'll give a shout out to Judy Kay. Like, she and I both talk about wowing our, you know, wowing your, your patients, right? That's the phrase she uses, so I'm borrowing that from her. So we're very similar, but I have the perspective of generational uh, differences, which is something that she knew some people were looking for, and she just grabbed me by the arm and walked me right up to them, and literally a spot that she could have had she said, hey, you should talk to Ryan. So that's just one example. But I see that happening all the time at SCN. And I think our world is moving to a more niche, personalized world. We see that. We saw that with marketing trends about 10 years ago with mm -hmm. personalized marketing. And now with artificial intelligence and all of the information you give online, even if you don't try to, there's so much information online that marketers have about you and your interests and your likes and your intentions. And we're used to personalized things. And I think there being specialized like a social media specialist or a generational specialist or customer service or insurance billing, all of that, I think being specialized gives you a leg up actually, allows you to be the expert and probably impart more value in many cases than a generalist. Now, sometimes people just need general help, right? But if right, you, you right. have a specific issue, that referral network uh, compounds. And I know for a fact that is why probably at least a quarter of our members continually invest in SEN is because they see those friends at SEN Unplugged which are member-only events. Uh, they see them at the annual summit, which is open to anybody. And they they start rubbing shoulders and saying, oh, you need to go to this office. Or next time you're here, I want to introduce you to this doctor or yeah. uh, something like that. So I think that it is definitely alive and well and really important. Well, and one thing that, um, you know, to, I, I work a lot with Jameson Management. I just think they're great. You know, I refer to them and they refer to me. And there's a, several other management companies too. It's the same thing. But... The reason I bring them up is because I will hear often from offices, 
I don't want to pay for a big consulting contract. Mm. I just want to get this fixed. Yep. And so, you know, if you're a full service management consultant, you're like, oh gosh, this is taking my business. But what's not, what's, what's happening that you don't realize is that I will fix that. And then I will say, buddy, you are just broken. We need to get you some help here, you know? Yeah. And, and I've helped them to the point where now they trust me and I go, you know, seriously, you really need to take a look at this. You're just going to keep coming back. And so it's been surprising to several full management companies and consultants I work with how much a business I can send to them because they need it. Oh my goodness. Right. So, so I, and, but, but some have realized that. So there is this synergy when you go into a group of, of consultants and colleagues, if they get it, if they get the sharing part, that will all come back to them. Yeah. And it's, we see it time and time again. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm super excited that you took over. Not that Lois, you know, needed like a huge bunch of help, but honestly, I feel like every organization benefits from fresh air and fresh ideas. And Lois is going to be there still with like mm-hmm. tons of great ideas. Yeah. So, so who gets the microphone though at next SCN? Are you emceeing? Is Lois emceeing? Who, We're- who is it? We're going to spread that out to our members since we're not okay. going to have as much time for members to speak. Not that we're going to have no time because it is part of our organization. It's part of the history and the legacy. But we're going to spread that out. And there'll probably be a very short State of the Union at the beginning from both Lois and I, as well as kind of closing, which is not something we've done in the past either. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always been a welcome, but not necessarily a quick State of the Union. Nothing to bore anyone four score yes i mean maybe maybe we'll start that maybe i'll come out with the top hat you never know you just uh samir will come out with a top hat i'm sure samir i was gonna has, say our our friend samir from from care credit is known for his if costumes. he's listening he better not steal that idea i'll uh <laughs> he will he'll totally yes. steal it. <laughs> um but it's going to be much more member focused it's not about one person we're about a network it's in our name and so you know, it's not speaking consulting Ryan, speaking consulting Lois, it's speaking consulting network. It's it's how we grow together and how we make a positive impact on the industry together. Otherwise, we're all irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And so it's important that we, we join forces and give people, spread that microphone around and give people opportunities and just have fun as, as peers, colleagues, sharpening each other, challenging one another, and hopefully making a positive dent in, in dentistry. Well, and there's that road family that you talked about too. Yeah. I mean, so many of the people I see, I mean, they are my family. You know, Kevin and Dana are my road husband and road, I guess, wife. I don't know. I guess Dana's my road wife. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> it's kind of weird. I'm going to have to check with her to find out how to call her that. Um, <laughs> but but there are different ways to get involved. And I'm going to bring this up just because I know we're getting to the end of our time, but I want people to see that that you've made things more accessible mm-hmm. because it, it before it was always every year, do I rejoin SCN or not? Because can I make the meeting? Where's the meeting going to be? Oh, it's in California. I don't like going to California. So, you know, make this decision, but you've made it now where you can join and not necessarily attend the meeting because maybe there's, there's things that, that don't work out. Right. So you have different levels now. So you have a monthly level for just accessing for mastermind website, have a listing. Then you have a level where you can pay the full kit and caboodle, which is pretty similar to what it was anyways. And the meeting is actually complimentary. It's included in that cost. Yes. So yeah. And so the meeting unplugged. and the two unplugged, uh, the two one, unplugged. You get one or, unplugged. So the unplugged agendas unplugged. are exactly the same. You could come okay. to both if you wanted, but it's it's meant to be more open to people who either can't make it across the coast for one day or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then there's a lot of other benefits with the unlimited as well. So you, 
We have discounts with airlines, with car rentals, things like that. We've got discounts with speaking software. So if you need a speaker CRM, um, mm. printing business cards, things like that. So there, we've made it a membership. Like you're, if you're an American Express cardholder and you maximize your membership, you're you're making money off American Express, and and that's kind of what we want want you to be able to do here is really get an ROI. This is an investment in yeah. you and in your business, and an investment has to have a return. Right. And right. so that's well, what we're focused on. And tell me about the um, the monthly masterminds. What what is that? What why is that important to a budding consultant or even an experienced one? Yeah, these are small, intimate groups. And what I like about the masterminds is you have some members that come to all of them, but a lot of members will come to the ones that are relevant to them, either where they can add value or where they need help, because we we are we all need help, right? And. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the masterminds are always an hour. We keep it very tight to an hour. And traditionally, they've been one of our members showcasing an expertise that might be relevant to consultants. And so we're still going to have that as part of it. Um, but now we're also bringing in external people. We've got someone lined up to talk about points and how to work your hotel and airline points to the benefit of your business and ways that you might not know, you know, you're, you're missing out on either upgrades or, or free miles, things like that. This next one we have is one of our own members talking about the top 10 things that consultants don't know that they're doing illegally with technology. Um, <laughs> and, and it's scary. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, if the consult, if someone got vindictive, there could be consequences. And so it's right. our, for the first time, we're requiring all masterminds and all sessions at SCN to have a course description, title course description, and three learning objectives, just like we have to submit whenever we're presenting CE. Because that's, oh, that's awesome. That's what yeah. we need to do. Because it was always like, I'd look and see what the topic is. Who's the presenter? Oh, this could go sideways. And then, you know, whether I'll just, and then there's the, oh, I'll catch it on replay. Yeah. And then you never catch it on replay. So right. I'm glad that you're making, giving it more structure. That's awesome. Yes. And masterminds yeah. are always a conversation. It's not a lecture. So it'll be maybe five to seven minutes of talking, like straight talking at everybody. But then it's a dialogue. It's almost like a group podcast. Yeah. Hey, you know. So there should be, too, a little track on podcasting, I'm going to guess, at, uh, at SCN at some point, too. So Because you have your own podcast. I didn't even mention that. I'm assuming people just know about your podcast. What's your podcast, Ryan? Uh, it's called the Dental Experience Podcast, so all about that patient experience and, and practice growth. So that'll all be linked, too. So I've got a couple things that I'm going to link in here. So dates of the next SCN, so people can maybe look at their calendar and see if it's going to work. Yes. And while he's looking that up, it's Speaking Consulting Network is the name of it, speakingconsultingnetwork.com. That's There's correct. a, uh, my goodness, you revamped and refreshed that website. That's awesome. Looks good. Well, thank you. So, um, yeah. Yes, the June Annual Summit uh, of 2023 is in Nashville, Tennessee from June 14th to June 16th and highly recommend it. The cool thing about this is it's open. Our summit is open to anyone. You do not have to be an SEN member to come to our summit. You do come to Unplug, be part of the mastermind, some of the members only things, but the summit is open to anyone that wants to figure out, you know, what SEN is all about. Um, and if they come and want to join, then they get their admission fee to the summit rolled into their, their membership. Oh, that works so. out. Okay. Yeah. And cause you, you might want to, you want to see who's there. You want to see the energy, you want to feel the energy and you want to see the meeting planners that are there. Yes. Cause there's typically lots of meeting planners that yes. are there. So I'm excited for the change. I'm excited to see how things go. And I know that you gave me the date for the Asheville 
uh, unplugged. And I was sharing with you that my family's just about three or four towns over. So I definitely will be going to that one. So I can then swing by and see my little cousins. So they're growing so fast, my goodness. And talking about growing so fast, your little your little baby boy, Carter. Yes. So hopefully next time I see you, you're going to have like a ton of pictures and stories about how he's like, already on his way to being a young entrepreneur, right? Like <laughs> yes. Carter, the entrepreneur. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So how, how is, how, how is your sleeping? Uh, we're sleeping a little bit. Um, okay. he's definitely, he's an easier baby as a whole than our first. Um, Ooh. but he sleeping is, uh, still a challenge, but it's we're we're four weeks in. So I, I don't hold the bar too high. How, how old is your first child? He's two and a half. Okay. Two and a half. Oh goodness! So he's already he's already like on his way. Is he excited to be a big brother? He's been a very good big brother. He's been um, he's been very supportive. Generally stays away from Carter, but when mm-hmm. he when he does try to uh, comfort him, he you know tries to give him a pacifier or something and tries to be a good big brother. So it's been it's been fun to watch him come into that that role. Cool, very cool. That's so sweet. I missed out on that because Noah is uh, an only child, but. Uh, it, it's always good when I go down to see my cousins, like to see that whole interaction and stuff. So very, very family oriented. And I just love the fact that you made a commitment. Um, and I hope that I'm not sharing too much, but you made a commitment to your wife to not be gone dur- during the birth time. And, and actually that was when it was announced that you bought speaking or, you know, uh, bought into speaking consulting network yes. and you weren't there for the announcement because you had a commitment to your family that yes. you were going to be there. And I actually thought that was pretty darn cool. Mm. So well, thank you. Very cool. Yeah, absolutely. So Brian vet is going to be around with, uh, talking to chapters. You talked to a lot of Adam chapters, so keep an eye a out lot for of that. Chapters, yes. Yeah. And then uh, you're, you're definitely a favorite and then keep an eye out for him, um, on the road. If he comes to your town and check out speaking consulting network, check out the, uh, dental experience podcast, and we'll get you back on the show to see how things have changed. Maybe a year after, maybe for a year from now, we'll we'll see what happened with Speaking Consulting Network and and if things are changing and if there's anything new that we want to bring to the the forefront. That so. sounds great, Teresa. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely appreciate it. And dear listeners, thank you so much for spending your time with me. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in this episode. You can also find links for my book and for my live events and webinar schedule. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.